how should we live? How should we live? That's the question really that Peter is asking and answering through this letter, his first letter that we've been studying together. And, and this is what he says, especially focused in our passage for tonight. Because Jesus is Lord, live revering him as Lord. Because Jesus is the risen king, live life under him. And our passage kind of presents a, a reasonably stark contrast, actually, of the two ways that anyone can choose to live their lives. You can lose sight of who Jesus is, and what you end up with is Jesus is your judge. Or you can actually understand that Jesus is the risen Lord, and he has forgiveness, and he's offering that to you and reconnection with God, and you can accept that and have life forever with him. <laughs> so the contrast is very, very stark, but the offer of life forever is very, very good. And so that's where it is. Peter is saying, how should we live? With Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's pray and ask him to help make that clear tonight, not just that we believe it, but also trust him and live it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your clarity, showing us yourself in the Lord Jesus, who is now risen. We thank you, Lord, that he is the risen king over sin and death. He is the risen judge over all people. And he is the risen ruler over all authorities in submission to him. So please help us to trust him tonight, we pray, and have that life that he offers. And live honouring you and receiving your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the talk tonight is really kind of in, in, in two pretty clear halves. The first half is trying to understand how it is that Jesus is Lord and what that, what that means. And the second half is working through what's the application. So how should anyone then live because Jesus Christ is Lord? And this Jesus Christ who is Lord, who rules over all, is the Lord who's gone from suffering to glory. And that's the pattern also that his people um, will find in their lives as they press into him. So do you want to have a glance down at the passage that Xander just read for us, um, 1 Peter chapter 3? And I'm picking tonight as my key verse, verse 15. <clears throat> so I wanted to, to reread um, verse 15 and then <clears throat> jump down to verse 18. So this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and then verse 18. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And then verse 18, and we get into the description of, of what it means for Jesus to be Lord, how it is. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So, um, why start here? Because I'm kind of tipping the passage a little bit on its head. Um, the thing that I'm always looking for in, in a Bible passage that, that we're studying is what is, the, what is the foundational deep, 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 deep thing upon which everything else has to happen, right? Or because of which everything happens. And I'm seeing that because Jesus Christ is Lord and he's described in 18 to 22, that's the reason for living and that's why I want us to focus to begin with verse 15, but then verse 18 to 22. So how is it that Jesus is the one who has power and authority? Well, first of all, in verse 18, it's, it's this. 
Because Jesus is the living Lord over death and sin. So he's the one who's described as being alive by the Spirit. He was actually fully physically dead in the body, but now he's been made alive by the Spirit. So that really does set him apart. But his death was a really, really particular special death. Um, his death was for sin. Not his, but ours. So, so that deep DNA problem that we have of saying no to God and yes to ourselves, that we will take over the, the management from here. And for that reason, God says to us, well, there can only be one God around here and it's me. And so not only did he give Adam and Eve death for that sin, that rebellion, but all of their children, which includes us, inherit that sin and the death that comes for it. So it's quite remarkable how Jesus is described. Did you, did you get that? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So he's described as being right with God, dying a death that swaps himself for us, those who aren't right with God, with a buyback reconnecting goal to bring you to God. So it's quite clear this is a really special death and resurrection because without him, there is no way back to God. But with him, trusting in him, there is a way back to God. So Jesus is the living Lord over death for sin. So before I go on just to onto the, the next thing that Peter says about Jesus' lordship, I wanted to reflect on what are, the, what are some of the kind of points of application off the back of that. And a big shout out to the Monday Night Life group that I'm a part of. This, half this sermon is theirs. Um, they know I'm ripping them off, so they'll... Um, They'll know what I'm, who said what uh, along the way. That's a good reason to be in a life group as a preacher, actually. But um, one of our life group made this excellent, excellent reflection. They said, look, I'm, I've got a number of Roman Catholic friends, and they're talking often about the notion of transubstantiation. So in the Mass, in taking communion in a Roman Catholic church, the belief is that the elements of the wafer and the wine, they actually change into Jesus' body and blood, and it's the re-sacrificing of Jesus um, each time. And it's crucial that people kind of keep partaking in that because it's Jesus' body and blood actually entering into them. And she said, I've been puzzling over this for a long time, and this really, really makes it clear that he died once. And she said, oh, that's so helpful. <laughs> um, just to be clear that he died once. But there's, there's, a, there's a really, really good thing that kind of goes with that, isn't there, that it's all done. It's all done. <laughs> just doesn't need to be repeated because Christ died once, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. It's so, so wonderful. And then another thing that we can think about there is that he has died for sins completely. So it's not the case that Jesus might do 50% of the work to get us right with God and then we might do the other 50%, which is also something that um, different Christian churches believe. But what we're understanding here is that it's 100% of Jesus' work and it actually gets applied to us as we trust him. So good. So good. And that's grace. It's just what God gives us in Christ and we access by trusting in him. So maybe that leaves um, a, a, a couple of uh, things to think about. You might find yourself still in that stranger to believer kind of phase and you're checking Jesus out. And you haven't quite got to that point yet where you've said to Jesus, yep, yeah, I'm trusting you. 
And he's just holding out his hand saying, look, I've done it all. Um, Just trust me and grab it. It's there for you. And so maybe that's what you need to do. But there might be another type of person here tonight that you have made that decision once upon a time. But where you're at is you just are not completely believing that it's all totally done for you. And the word here is actually saying that it's complete. And you just, you just need to work on really being able to accept that word of God over your life because it can be just such a worrying thing, can't it, to live with this prospect and this question in your mind and your heart, oh, I don't really feel like I'm okay with God. And maybe that's the burden that you carry. Um, but what we're kind of seeing here is that you don't have to carry that because Jesus has taken it all away. And maybe that's just the convincing in your mind that you need to take God at his word. So I want to encourage you to do that. So Jesus is the living Lord over death for sin. But that's just one aspect of why he can be called the Lord. Peter points out a second thing, and it's in verses 19 to 21. Jesus is the living judge over all. Do you want to glance back down? And we'll read that. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. So just to refresh our memory about the episode with Noah, what happened there, especially if it's not really familiar to you, Shortly after the creation of the world and Adam and Eve had made the decision to say no to God and God sends them out of the garden and out of his presence, um, there are numerous generations that are living on the earth. And we heard about that in the first reading tonight, but they are generations of people who basically continue um, to do what their forefathers had done and their foremothers had done to reject God and actually live with great violence. That's the, that's the description, isn't it? But... God said to Noah, who he did find righteous in his sight, Noah, build this ark because there is a big judgment that's coming and I want you and your family to be on board. And so Noah believes him, but over the long period that it takes to actually build that ark, there are people all around who are not believing that. And the flood is the final act, I guess, of God's convicting them that this is all true. Now, what Peter is saying is that Jesus, either in between his death and his resurrection or between his resurrection and his ascension returning to the Father, part of his ministry during that time is returning to hell and basically saying it was all real and I'm the judge and the final word is actually mine over you. So he's not preaching to the eight people who were saved. He's actually convicting the people who rejected. And so what Peter is saying is that this is Jesus. He is the living Lord over all people. And it's quite a significant thing that he says because, as the biblical account kind of tells us, um, apart from Adam and Enoch, everyone, everyone was still alive at that point of the flood coming. And so Jesus is the judge over all people from then to Peter's time to our time to the end of time. That's how, that's how powerful this Jesus is. He is that Lord. 
And he's also saying to the people of his day, um, don't be surprised at the trial that you're suffering. Because remember Noah and the trial that he suffered under all the pressure of having to be the one who was going to hold the promise and build the ark and get onto it and wait for the rain. And then the salvation came. And that's actually how it works with God's people. And Jesus himself experienced that under pressure, being the only one who believed, but through his, the judgment that he experienced, the salvation came. So Jesus is this living Lord, the judge. So just a few things to think about off the back of that. Um, it's all time. He's, coming, he's covering the, the total humanity. Um, nothing can overcome Jesus' lordship. Um, this is another excellent reflection from someone in our life group. <clears throat> they said, the, one, the Lord that I follow has gone down to the deepest depths and he's come up to the highest of heights and so nothing actually can overwhelm him. Uh, nothing, nothing is too strong for him. Nothing can uh, actually damage him or overcome him. He is that powerful. And I, I, that was a really helpful thought to me and I was reflecting on the fact that um, what appeared potentially to be Jesus' moment of greatest defeat was actually a moment when he was exercising a ministry of, of establishing his authority over all people. It's quite incredible that as he descended to hell, he was actually exercising a ministry of authority. It's amazing. Um, but the third thing I wanted to reflect on here by way of application is probably the hardest thing to hear. There's no second chance. There's no second chance. Because Jesus is not returning to preach to those people to say, okay, no worries, you want to believe it now and everyone kind of come on out. That maybe would be a sense of kind of purgatory, the idea of purgatory, which again is a Roman Catholic kind of understanding of what happens um, after death. There's an intermediate state where you might hang around there for a long, long time and clear out all your sins. But Jesus is going to say, no, no, it was real. It's true. So that leaves us in a pretty heavy place, doesn't it, for just a moment where we need to consider ourselves, have we actually made that decision to follow Jesus? But how do we pray for our friends and our family who haven't? And how do we represent Jesus to them? Um, yeah, and so we just want to take that seriously, don't we? So Jesus is the living Lord and the judge of all time. But there's a third thing that Peter says about Jesus' lordship. It's down in verse 21, 22. He's the risen, ascended, ruling Lord of all. Let's have a look at that. So just off the back end of verse 21, um, this baptism, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So there's just no one greater than Jesus. And that's why Peter would rightfully say, he is Lord. He is Lord. So how does that fit with your conception of Jesus? Just before we move on and think about in the second half of the talk, okay, how then should we live? Um, because your understanding of Jesus changes everything, actually. Um, you, might have, you might have ideas that don't fit with this, and so maybe what we're looking at right now is quite challenging to you in that regard. Or maybe you, you've had some of the things that you've been believing for a little while reinforced, and maybe they become clearer, and so it really does seem quite logical that Jesus should be trusted and followed and submitted to. But again, you need to do that work in your own mind and your own heart as the Word of God actually reveals who Jesus is. But Peter is quite clear. Submit to him. Submit to him. Um, he, really, he really is worthy. 
So how should we live? I find this really, really striking, I think, as I've reflected upon this passage, this massive Lord who rules over all, who is, is alive, who has done everything, um, what does he say? Does he say, get out, you know, get out the sword and start slashing away? No, no, he says that life under his power is going to look a lot like his life, <laughs> from suffering to glory. And that's... That's what it looks like, and and that's what we're going to see now in the rest of this passage. Have a look at verse 17 and then verse 18 before we kind of start um, tapping back into other parts of the passage. Peter says, For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For, and here's the deep reason, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So our lives look like Christ. So <clears throat> three things that I, I want to note, three things that I'm seeing in the passage about how, how to live. Starts in the heart, comes out of the lips and the mouth, and it shows in the lived life. So the first point, uh, just in the second half of the talk, starts in the heart. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And that, again, it's, just, it's verse 15, okay? I'm loving verse 15 tonight. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So how does this new living start? Well, it's a really deep internal thing. Um, It's a changing of what you love. And it's a changing of what you attribute powers to. And here's what I mean. Um, I find this kind of question reasonably helpful in interrogating my own heart. Um, What do you fear? Because I think the things that you fear actually show you know, what you're kind of loving or prioritizing in your heart. So let me give you a couple of examples and then maybe ask you a question. Um, one of my genuine fears is being destitute in my old age. And I think I'm, my, my superannuation uh, tells me that things aren't going to be that great in the future. And I think going to Bible college and being a missionary have kind of guaranteed that. And even the things that I'm praying for my um, Children, if they end up in vocational ministry somewhere, will guarantee that they won't be able to pay for my retirement. And when I, when I think about that a lot, it really starts to worry me. And what I find is that I'm just thinking about money more and more and more. And then I find that that thought becomes just really, really, really overwhelming. And it becomes bigger than Jesus for a moment. <laughs> And then I realized, oh, hang on a sec. No, no. And like I've said before, I liked how I said it before, so I'll say it again. When I look into the future, I can, I can tremble a bit. But when I look to the past, I really know God's faithfulness. And so I'm reminded, no, no, he's good. <laughs> he really is good. He's powerful to provide. Um, but a second thing, and this has occurred to me just in the last couple of days, um, I've, been, I've been anxious because of my exposure to, I think, the thoughts of different people in their understanding of Christian theology and their practice of church and all sorts of stuff kind of locally, but these are, these are kind of currents that are washing around the world. And I found myself um, really gripped by these things. And I've been worrying about <clears throat> what, people, what some of these people think, what they do, especially even the impact of whether what they do um, brings people to Christ or keeps them away from that. And what are some of these people going to think as I increasingly have to be in contact with them as I progress through ordination and then come out the other side, maybe, um, as an Anglican minister? And 
what I what I what I've realized is that this this these thoughts have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then God causes me to have to preach a sermon on 1 Peter 3, and I go, you idiot. Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Jesus Christ is Lord. But what is it for you? What is it for you? So maybe, especially for you at school, um, I'm just wondering sometimes if it's either the group of people that you hang around with and what they want to be on about and how they speak and even how they dress and you keep thinking, I've just got to do what they say. And you're really afraid that if you do something different, it just won't go well for you. And I'm just wondering if there's a fear down there that means that you don't really understand how much more powerful Jesus is and how much better Jesus is. And if you're following him and actually living his way, it's going to free you from that and get on with actually glorifying him. Um, but, but what is it for you? What are you afraid of? And what does that reflect in your heart? Because what Peter's saying is, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Um, and, and when we do, it starts to look like transforming hope. I'll, I'll say this again in a moment, but isn't it so beautiful that he says, verse 15... But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So basically what he's saying is, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to keep Jesus as Lord and keep putting him back in that first place and be more, more worried about him. And guess what that's going to do? It's going to make everyone around you start asking, why are you so different? <laughs> what is that hope that you've got? What's that thing deep down that is actually, actually transforming you? So this reverence of Christ as Lord has an, has an external transformational thing that is showing that hope to other people. But it's also going to, be, it's also going to bring opposition, right? Um, I did a really helpful thing recently. I had to drive for about half an hour. I put my Bible app on the Gospel of Mark and I hit play. And as I was listening, I was just kind of asking myself, okay, um, how does the Lord Jesus go in interacting with other people and how does his suffering kind of fit like we've been um, reading in 1 Peter? And it was amazing to me, actually, it shouldn't have been so amazing, to see that whenever Jesus opens his mouth and he gets going, there's just conflict. <laughs> so on the one hand, he's, he's this amazing witness, mate, this bloke is so different. And on the other hand, everyone's trying to have a go at him. Right from the start, it's Satan who wants to oppose him. So the demons are really red hot against him. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A lot of people turn up and they want healings from him, but they don't want him to be Lord over them. So here's the Christian life. Transformational hope as the reverence and understanding of Christ as Lord goes deep down, comes out, but it's also going to bring us into opposition. But what, what do you love? What do you fear? just want you to reflect a little bit on that tonight. So... Deep in the heart, how do we live? Christ is Lord, heard in the mouth. Jesus is Lord in their mouths. And here I'm thinking about verses 9 to 16. But I just want to make a little bit of a note before I just kind of flick over those and point some things out. Um, it's really cool. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 and Isaiah chapter 8. And basically he's saying what was said to historic Israel is pretty well what Jesus did. And it's going to be what characterizes the speaking of people under Christ as Lord. 
So I'm just going to point out a couple of things along the way between verses 9 to 16. So you might like to glance down. Jesus is Lord in their mouths. Do not repay evil. This is verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And, and what comes out of their mouths? And his ears are attentive to their prayer. And then verse 15 again. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And here's a really, really interesting thing. What's going on in the speaking of, on the other side there? So that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And there's simply no contest here, right? So um, evil is not greater than Jesus Christ as Lord. People are not greater than Jesus Christ as Lord. Fear is not greater than Jesus Christ who is Lord. But we absolutely sometimes feel these things, don't we? Like we feel fear. We feel anger. Um, we want to really be re replying and going hard back to people. But Peter's saying, no, no, no. Just have a deep trust in God who really takes care of you. You don't need to defend yourself. Now, you might have learned some habits in your family. You might be hanging with a group of friends. Um, who, who, you're always kind of sarcastic. You might come from a culture where it's absolutely game on from morning to night to be slagging each other off. I remember the Florentines were excellent at being very razor sharp in hammering away at each other. And also in groups of young adults, it, I heard this thing, I praise God that I was never really part of it, but there was, in, in each group of young adults, there was always one designated person who got hammered by the rest of the group. Oh, wow. It's all good if you weren't that person, right? But, that, but, but you, would, you would play that part. Just terrible, terrible. But so I don't know where you get your habits from and where you get your speaking from. And maybe you're, you know, you're known as that person who's just so sharp. Someone says something, bang, it's back at them. Well, you might want to use your intelligence for a different, uh, <laughs> a different thing, right? And I think that's what God through Peter is saying. No, hang on, people. God's got a better way for us, actually. And Jesus should be Lord in our mouths. Because blessing, life and good days, real eternal hope are in Christ alone. So instead of our mind and our mouths repaying evil with evil or insult with insult, they should be engaged in preparing an answer. And it's a really simple answer for the hope that we have. And it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so short, so nice. It's verse 15 again. Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> no, no, he, he rules me. Uh, he's really good. He's really beautifully powerful. He's risen. I, I do follow him. <clears throat> and that, that, will, that will show in our lips. But last thing, um, it will show in their lives that Jesus is Lord in their lives. And here I'm thinking of verses 8 and 9. Do you want to have a look, look down there? 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 8. Um, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And again, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Um, this is really cool, isn't it? Because he says, finally, okay, wow, he's really going to sum up. Um, and then he throws the blanket over everyone, all of you. 
So if before you didn't fit as a wife, before you didn't fit as a husband, before if you didn't fit as a slave, if you didn't fit as a domestic servant, he's saying, right, now I've got you all. And so this is the Christian life call. To this you were called because God wants to bless you in Christ. So what have you got to be like? Well, you've got to be like a community of people who look like Jesus. And so, so that I don't repeat myself, which I think I did this morning a little bit too much, um, Christianity is so much a team sport. And so what that requires, actually, is we, we're together. So sometimes in a large group like this, I think a better way of doing it is in a smaller group, which is why our life groups are so important, because we can get to know each other and we can practice these things together. Be like-minded. So I, I take it that that's growing another, uh, the mind of God through his word. It's such a beautiful aspect of the Bible, isn't it? That God, who reveals himself in speaking and causes it to be written down, has effectively left us his mind. So when we're in the word of God, we are in his mind. So what do we do when we're together? What are we working on? Why do, why do, we, why do we preach from the Bible? Why do we study the Bible together? Because we're trying to grow to be more like him, like-minded, submitting to Christ together. So secondly, be sympathetic. Um, I don't know about you, I love to get mercy. I love it when people give me good things. So good. But how do I go giving it? So much harder. So much harder. But I've got to check in with myself there. Can I show and give mercy to other people? But am I in proximity to them to know how they need that and actually show it? Again, that's a challenge to us, isn't it? How do we do that? He says, love one another. Be like Jesus. So not because we're waiting to get something from them, not because there's a kind of a contractual arrangement, but because we've been loved. We can love. We know what love is. So that none of us has an excuse not to love, right? So good. So good. So um, what's a key, I think, to ensuring that this kind of stuff can go down? I think maybe just two things. Um, getting God's will into your ear, into your mind and your heart and out into your life. So really through his word. And it's so key, isn't it, that we kind of do recalibration of that pretty regularly and um, doing that daily at least, at least. Um, but the second thing is, um, if I reckon you want to diarise your commitments, your daily personal kind of times with the Lord, but also meeting together in a large group like this, but also going to a life group. And then when something, some other option comes up, you say, look, I've already got an appointment. Um, Because we live in the options age, okay? There are just so many possibilities, and we're so free to do so much stuff. But what that means is what can happen over time is church and life group and youth group and all sorts of other things, D-teams, they can become optional to us. And so they they just exist on the same level. Um, But what happens there is that we don't know each other well enough to actually love each other and be together in order to do that. Now, I know um, for some of us, it can be very difficult sometimes to get to church. There there might be mental health reasons, there might be physical reasons. And... uh, Sometimes we just need to be flexible. Something's come up and we can't get there. But I want to encourage you, um, or even just to reflect right now, what level am I prioritising my time together with God and his people? But what effect does that have on them and on me? 
So uh, uh, an anecdote from my past. Um, I was in Florence, involved in university student ministry and organising small group meetings, just um, uh, getting Christians together to read the Bible. And so often I would turn up and I'd be sitting in the place where we were going to meet and I'd get a message saying I can't make it. And my temptation was to think, well, that's it. It's over. I'm never coming here again. But the thing that I realised was that I had to actually make that priority so that other people would prioritise it. <laughs> it's pretty easy to do, actually. It's really easy to do. Um, but it's a good thing. Can I, can I exhort you to that? Um, that you might not like sometimes the thought, I'm, turning, I'm, I'm really going to church tonight, or I'm going to life group tonight, I'm going to D-team today. But what I want to encourage you with this, and this is my own personal experience, I know that in obedience to the Lord and responding to the Spirit, I'd need to meet with him and his people, full stop. But in my experience, this is what happens. I'm grinding myself to get to church. I'm grinding myself to get to life group, and I've got to lead it. But I know that there's a blessing waiting for me there. Always. Always happens. And I know there's a ministry there for me to have. So the thing that I've prayed more and more increasingly over time is, Lord, please help me. Help me. Help me remember Jesus. Help me let him be Lord over my life. Help me turn up and be available to you and to my brothers and sisters. And can I encourage you to be like that as well? And it might be the case that you've absolutely ground your way to church tonight. Praise God that you've absolutely obeyed the Spirit and you're here. I pray that you've, you have received something already, but that you'll be ready to give, actually, um, even just for five or ten minutes before you have to leave tonight. But these things come out in our lives. The Lordship of Jesus shows... So how, how should we live? That's the question Peter is asking, he's answering, he's saying, look, guess what? Look at the lordship of Jesus, understand who he is, and respond to him, and your life will actually look a lot like his over time. It's suffering to glory, but there is no better path to be on. Let's pray that we'd be glad to be on that path. Please join me, and let's pray. Father, we're just so glad of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that... Um, in the midst of great challenge and suffering, he entrusted himself to you to glorify you and to save us. Father, please help us to trust him, to be obedient to him, to glorify you, Lord God, and to bless others and to receive your blessing, Father God, but also to be um, showing the hope that we have. Father, please help us in our hearts to revere Christ as Lord, that our mouths and our lips might show Christ is Lord, and that our lives would point to him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.